Thank you so much, Kathy and Jane, uh, Ermgard and Lynn. Uh, Kathy does such a wonderful job choosing such beautiful music for us. Uh, you may not know this. Uh, Kathy shared this with me one time. She has been doing this uh, since she was a little girl with her mother. And uh, Kathy set such a wonderful tone for us and just uh, really helps us come into the presence of the Lord. And so, Kathy, thank you for continuing to minister along with your praise team. We're just very, very grateful. One of the sweetest words in all the Bible is the word gospel. And you know that the word gospel means good news. And we might ask a very simple question this morning. Why do we call it good news? Um, why do we often sing, God is so good? Why is it good for us to be here in worship together this morning? Why is it good to believe, follow, obey, and live our lives daily for the Lord Jesus Christ? Why can we even, in the midst of hardship and heartache, say all things work together for good? And why did a Christian from Bethel one day come to me and say, Pastor, it's all good. It's all good. Why is that so true? Well, one of the answers that the Bible gives to us is the reason the gospel is good news is because Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, fulfilled Isaiah chapter 53 and dealt with our sin problem. Now, I want to tell you that is good news. In fact, it is the best news because I'm a sinner and I have a sin problem. And therefore, my greatest need is for someone who can help me with my sin problem. Now, the Apostle Peter declares that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. But it's very interesting. Rather than telling us in his own words, and Peter certainly could have done that because he was an eyewitness, he watched it happen. Instead, he quotes from Isaiah 53, and he allows the prophet Isaiah to tell us what Jesus did when he died and, and rose for us and how he dealt with our sin problem. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to look with me at verses 24 and 25. Now, I know you've read these verses many, many times, but you may not have read these verses and understood and heard that Peter, steeped in the Old Testament, is quoting directly from Isaiah 53. Listen to what Peter says about Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. 
For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now notice with me how Peter here is quoting from Isaiah 53, verse 24, he himself bore our sins. That's Isaiah 53, 11 and 12, where the prophet said the Messiah would bear their iniquities, that he bore the sin of many. At the end of verse 24, Peter says, By his wounds you have been healed. That's Isaiah 53, verse 5, where the prophet says, By his wounds we are healed. And then in verse 25, Peter says, You are like sheep going astray. That's Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Now can I ask you this morning, why does Peter do this? Peter was an eyewitness. In his own words, he could have told us what Jesus accomplished for us. He's writing under inspiration, and rather than tell us, he has Isaiah the prophet tell us what Jesus did for our sin problem. Why does Peter do it this way? If you were to ask me this morning, why I'm a Christian? From a human standpoint, I would give to you three answers. Here they are. Number one, I'm a Christian because Jesus rose from the dead. The best explanation for the empty tomb is he's alive, right? That's why I'm a Christian. Secondly, I'm a Christian because of his miracles. No one else did the kind of miracles that Jesus did. No one did the number of miracles that he did. They are absolutely unique in all of history. Here's the third reason why I'm a Christian. Fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. There are 60 major prophecies in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah with 330 ramifications, all of them fulfilled in one person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The greatest prophecy of the sufferings of the coming Messiah is Isaiah 53. 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah predicted how and why Messiah would die. And now Peter, in quoting that prophecy, says to us, Jesus is the one. He fulfilled Isaiah 53 to the letter. Your long wait is over. You can not only have confidence to believe that it is true, but even greater, your sin problem has been dealt with. That is good news. That is good news indeed. This morning, I want us to see how Peter relates what Jesus has done for us in the words of Isaiah in essentially two ways that he fulfilled the prophecies of Isaiah 53. And so with our Bibles open this morning, let's take a look together at them, shall we? First of all, Peter makes it very clear that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 53 in this way. He bore our sins, taking our punishment. Look again at verse 24. He himself, 
bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now, fasten for a moment on the word bore. It means to carry a massive, heavy weight. All throughout the Bible, sin is pictured as a huge, massive burden. And the scripture says it has affected everyone and everything, and it defies any kind of remedy or solution. In fact, Romans 3 says to us, or Romans chapter 8 says to us, that the whole creation groans under the burden of sin. And the Bible says that we groan under that burden ourselves. You ever ask yourself this question? How heavy is sin? How heavy is the burden of sin? A cynical young man one day came to a pastor and he said to this pastor, you say that unsaved people carry a weight of sin. I feel nothing. And then he said to the pastor, how heavy is sin? Is it 10 pounds? Is it 80 pounds? By the way, how would you answer a cynical person like that? How would you answer? Here's what this pastor said. He said, if you took a 100-pound weight and laid it on a corpse to the young man, would it feel anything? And the young man said, no. The pastor said, why? The young man said, well, a corpse is dead. It can't feel a thing. And then the pastor made this analogy. He says, the Bible says that the non-Christian is dead in trespasses and sins, And because they are spiritually dead, they cannot feel the weight of sin. When you are spiritually dead, you can't feel the weight of your own sin. That's why the Bible says a miracle has to happen where God opens our eyes and only then can we begin to see how heavy sin really is. In fact... Let me describe for you what the Bible says about it. There is the shame of sin. Think of Peter weeping over his denial of the Lord Jesus. What I thought I would never do, that I have done. Have we not all been there in our lives? Of course we know that. That's the shame of sin. There's also the remorse of sin. Think of Judas after the betrayal, throwing the 30 pieces of silver on the floor of the temple and saying, I have betrayed innocent blood. What I have done, I cannot now undo. Haven't many of us here been there this morning? The very thing that I've done, I, I cannot now undo. There's also the separation of sin. I think of Cain after he has murdered his brother Abel. And God says to him, you're now going to be banished from my presence. And what does Cain say? He says, I will be hidden from your presence. God turned away from him. There's the burden of the separation of sin. There's also the consequences of sin. Think of David. 
After God says this child that has been born because of your adultery is going to die and David is fasting and praying and asking God, let this child live and the child dies. There's the consequences of sin. And then there's the condemnation of sin. The Bible says the wicked will be turned into hell, eternal separation from God. How heavy is sin? Is it not a heavy burden? Is it not a heavy burden? And then think with me this morning how the pile is added to every single year of our life. As I was studying for this message, I thought to myself, the pile of my sin grows bigger and bigger and bigger year after year after year. Think about this with me this morning. The thoughts that I have had in this past year that were unkind and untrue. The words that I spoke that were selfish. The deeds that I did that put me first the things that I left undone that I should have done. How heavy is sin? It is growing greater, larger, heavier all the time. What can I do? To be honest with you, are there not times when we want to call out with the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then I open my Bibles to Isaiah 53 and I read, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore it. He paid for it. He carried it. Is that not good news this morning? Oh, that is good news. That is good news. Now I want you to notice with me this morning that Peter says that two things were involved to provide our forgiveness. Notice in verse 24 he says it is our sins. Jesus had to be a substitute. What this means is this. Our shame, our remorse, our separation... The consequences for our sin and the condemnation was all poured on him. It was our sins. He was our substitute. Second thing that Peter tells us is that Jesus was our sacrifice. The word bore here suggests the idea of sacrifice, and it's very interesting. What Peter is referring to here is the scapegoat ceremony on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, verse 22. You could go there sometime, and you could read that, and here's what you will discover. The high priest would take two goats on the Day of Atonement. He would confess the sins of the nation over the goat that remained alive, and he would send it off. Here's what Leviticus 16.22 says. The goat carried on itself all their sins to a solitary place it is what Peter is alluding to when he says he bore our sins. But then you remember, there was another goat that was killed. One goat died to pay for sin. The other goat was sent off 
to show the removal of sin. And now Peter says, think of that ceremony and Christ now fulfilled both of those. He bore our sins. He was our substitute. He was our sacrifice. He carried our sins. He removed them as our sacrifice. What a wonderful, wonderful truth this is. By the way, let me ask you this morning, how complete is this? Well, I want you to notice something very important in this verse. Peter says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Do you know that is rarely said in Scripture? We have a cross here this morning. In fact, we have two crosses, and this is how we would have said it. We would have said he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. But Peter does not do that. He says he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why does Peter say tree here? He is alluding to Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. Keep your finger here and turn back to the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book in the Old Testament. Find chapter 21, and let me read for you what Peter is alluding to in verses 22 and 23. And then let me apply this to our life this morning. If you think you have understood what Peter is saying, it is far deeper than we ever understood. Look what Moses says. If a man guilty of a capital offense is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land your God is giving you as an inheritance. The Jews did not normally do this. They carried out capital punishment by stoning, not by crucifixion. But if the victim was especially evil, his dead body was hung on a tree until evening. But Moses is saying to him and to them, the body was not to be left on the tree overnight because the deed that he did was so shameful. Now come to this. Jesus was hung on a tree. He bore the shame of the very lowest sin. Think with me today what that means. No matter how low you or I have sunk in sin, Jesus bore that sin for us. No matter how defiled we may feel that we are today because of what we have done, Jesus Christ can forgive us. Think of that, my brothers and sisters. However heavy the sin, he carried it for you. 
And he carried that sin willingly, voluntarily for you. If we were today to confess our sins publicly, some of us would be so ashamed of the things we have done. Our Savior, knowing it all, went to the cross, hung in shame on that tree, that our sins might be removed from their condemnation and we would be forgiven. Is that not good news this morning? Oh, how good news that is. One day, a pastor went to visit a farmer. And the farmer was showing him around the farm. They went into the chicken coop and they noticed that one of the hens was sitting on her nest motionless. And as they went over to the nest, the farmer pointed out something to his pastor. He said, you see those marks on this hen that is dead? He said, last night a weasel came into the chicken coop, attacked this hen, sunk his fangs into her head, and drained her blood until she died. And the pastor noticed there was no evidence of struggle. It was clear the hen had not fought back at all. And he said, why did the hen lay here so passively while its lifeblood was drained out? The farmer moved the hen a little bit. And out came the chick. He said that hen did nothing to resist to save her chicks. Now would you read verse 23 with me in 1 Peter chapter 2? When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God, who judges justly. Why did Jesus passively allow his lifeblood to be drained from him so he could save you and me? What incredible news that is. Now I told you that Peter applies Isaiah 53 in two ways, not just one. The first way that he applies Isaiah 53 is he says that Jesus bore our sins, taking our punishment. 
But we have to look at the second way to get the complete story. The second way that he fulfilled Isaiah 53 is he broke our sins, breaking our bondage. He broke our sins, breaking our bondage. Look at the so that in verse 24, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. The word die here means to cease existing. So the idea is to cease or to stop sinning. So what Peter is saying, and all uh, Christian theology that is derived from Scripture tells us, Jesus not only paid the penalty for sin, he broke the bondage of sin, he released us so we now can live a righteous life. Let me be very clear about this. We will never be sinless, and all God's people said. But we can now sin less and should sin less. And all God's people said, both are true. We will never be sin less, but we now can sin less and we should sin less. Why? Here it is. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. How did this happen? Well, Peter tells us. Look at verse 25. We have experienced a returning. He says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Again, quoting from Isaiah 53, We're like sheep going astray. By the way, isn't that a great description of what sin is? Isn't it? Sin is going our own way. It is doing our own thing. It is wandering off from God. And we all know once a sheep is lost, it cannot find its way back. It wanders and wanders further and further. And now the Bible is saying sin is like that. Sin leads to waywardness. It leads to carelessness, purposelessness. It leads to helplessness and danger. But now we discover Jesus is the shepherd. He has come seeking us. He's the great shepherd. We can turn to him. The word returned here was the Old Testament word ringing in the ears of Peter that he read from the prophets many times. Returned was the word for repentance and the prophets would often say to God's wayward people, Turn ye, turn ye, turn ye. Why will ye die? Turn ye, turn ye, turn ye. And it's referring to turning from our own way and turning to Jesus. By the way, the flip side of this word returned is faith. The Bible says coming to Christ involves faith and repentance. Uh, Repentance is turning from our own way and turning to Jesus. Faith is then trusting Him as our Lord and Savior. Whenever you see one, whether it's repentance or faith, the other is also implied. And Peter says, if we know him, we have experienced a returning. Notice also that we have experienced a healing. He says in verse 24, by his wounds you have been healed. Because Jesus rose as well as died, when we return to him, he heals us spiritually. By the way, let me make this very clear this morning. The healing here 
is not healing of the body. It's healing of the soul. Not all of us today have healing of the body. Many of us can get up and give testimonies to that. God sometimes graciously heals the body, but the healing that is talked about here in Isaiah 53 is not healing for the body. Otherwise, many of us could rise up, raise our hands, and say, the Bible's not true because I don't have healing in my body. This is healing in the soul. You remember what Jesus said? He said, it's not the well who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. Can you not hear those words ringing now as Peter writes to us, we have returned to that shepherd and he has now healed our souls just as Isaiah 53 said that he would. And Jesus begins a healing process in our souls the day we come to know him and one day that healing process will be completely finished when we stand in his presence. Is that not good news this morning? That is the greatest One of the dearest friends that I had when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute was Alan Haymaker. Alan Haymaker was saved out of a very rough life. He was a very immoral man. He was uh, involved in drugs. And God wonderfully saved him, changed him, brought him to Moody Bible Institute the same time that I was there. And I came to love Alan Haymaker. He was a sweet, wonderful man. He married one of the most special gals in our school. Her name was Elaine Fisher. They got married, had a family. And, you know, you just think of Al's background, and you think of Elaine's background, you think, how could these two ever be married? Well, Christ did a wonderful work, changed Al, and, and Elaine, the sweet, beautiful, just wonderful gal, came to love Al. They were married and had a family. Al Haymaker wanted to be, throughout his life, a police officer. And he became one of Chicago's finest. In fact, the people on his beat loved him and they just felt so blessed that this was the police officer who was called to do the work in Chicago for them. He was one of Chicago's finest. He was a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. He was a man of God. And one day there was a call he was in his car, responded to the call. He hit black ice. And that's what happened to his car. He was killed instantly. He died leaving beloved Elaine. I believe he had three children, still young. 
God took him home. The tributes for Alan Haymaker poured in. People that he had to be a police officer to. What a wonderful man he was. Huge funeral. All of the rights of the police department. Spread all over Chicago, Illinois, all the way up to the UP. And what a great tribute by a man of God whose life was so unbelievably transformed doing what he loved. And Al Haymaker's journey is now complete. Jesus bore his sins, saved him wonderfully, and then was transforming him. And now it's all complete. That's why it's good news. That's why. It is good. It's all good. It's all good. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All God's people said, And you live the rest of the week on this? Let's pray. Oh God, it is far grander and far more wonderful than we can even begin to tell. And we thank you that because Jesus rose, because he did only what God can do, and because he filled all 60 messianic prophecies with 330 ramifications to the T, it is true. And we believe it. And our lives are changed. Lord, this is really the only basis for Christian living. The only basis is that Jesus paid it all. And he has now set us free. And we will never be perfect until we see him. but we can be better because of his wonderful work. And it's only when we see the cross in that wonderful way that our love for you deepens and our gratefulness motivates 
Christ-like living. Father, be near to my brothers and sisters today. Encourage them. If you did all of this, oh, how deep is your love and how great is your goodness. I pray for anyone today who is unsure that they know the Savior. I ask, Lord, somehow they would have a vision of that hand sitting on top of them, having the blood drained out of it without a movement or any self-defense that they might be saved. Lord, if that does not break their hearts, nothing will. If that does not cause them to flee to the cross for their only hope, nothing else could. And so today, bring lost men and women, boys and girls, to yourself. And Father, may we live in wonder and awe obedience and love for Jesus' great sake.